0: Arisen, Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for his resurrection by which we are justified. And Lord, we thank you for that, that that his resurrection changed history. And oh God, that you were merciful to us in accomplishing redemption on our behalf. As we come here now and we open your word to just talk about your law. and, Oh God, we ask that you would cause us to love the Lord Jesus Christ. That it would not be something that is burdensome to us. That it would be something that was uh, a joy and a delight. And, oh, God, I ask you that you would most of all prepare our hearts to worship you and give us the grace to do so in spirit and truth in the following hour. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Good um, Good morning. I am going to start a new series on the Ten Commandments. Um, we are going to primarily follow uh, Thomas Watson's book on the Ten Commandments. If you have it, some of you probably do. If you don't, uh, I would highly recommend it. And then um, this copy, of it it says the Westminster Confession of Faith, but it's the Free Presbyterian Publishing. It's got the the, um, Confession of Faith, the larger, shorter catechisms with Scripture proofs. It's got the Solemn League and Covenant, the National Covenant, the Sum of Saving Knowledge, which I would encourage everybody to read, And it also has uh, the directory for public worship and the directory for family worship. It is encompassed in this one. And if you don't have it, I would encourage you to order it. I'm sure Kathy can get it through, uh, if you ask her, she can do it through Amazon. And uh, you can buy anything through Amazon these days. And um, that being said, um, Thomas Watson, his series, he wrote the book, The Book of Divinity. And then he has the Lord's—I pr- mean, the uh, Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer. Okay, in this series, the Book of Divinity uh, is—I um, mean, I'm sorry—it's not the Book of Divinity; it's um, a body of Divinity. Is question one through question thirty-nine of the Westminster Shorter Catechism? He exposits it basically. Uh, it's meant for us. Okay, this is not meant for preachers. This is meant for the people of God. In fact, this week I was here. I came on Wednesday afternoon and. Carl Hibbard was here with some of the kids helping him shoot bow and arrows. And he was telling me that he had been spending time working through a body of divinity. And what a blessing it was to his soul as he was working through uh, the redemption purchased by Christ. And um, it would be, I would encourage you, Watson is probably the most readable of the Puritans. And it's certainly, um, he's very helpful, bullet pointed. You can stop in the middle. We're going to do that today. And it just—it's—it's very easy to do. If you don't get what he says, you can go back to the one before and read back down. But anyway, um, for our purposes today, if you want to know where we are in your hymn books, is page eight sixty nine. Okay, it's a copy of the Westminster Shorter Catechism in your hymn book. Okay, questions one through thirty nine are very important. To just jump into the Ten Commandments would be wrong, and Watson does not do that. And, you know, as, as Calvin said, and I, I look, I, if you want to know who else I've looked at, is uh, Institutes of Christian Religion straight from the source there. Um, I looked at Voss's commentary on the larger catechism, and, of course, G.I. Williamson's work on this. Um, the whole sum of our wisdom broadly consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of man, the knowledge of ourselves. Uh, question one of the shorter catechism begins with, "You know, why are we here? Chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever." Question two: Where do we get all that from? The Word of God, the Scriptures, of the Old and New Testament. It's only to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. Now, question three: What do the Scriptures principally teach? It tells us the Scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. So if you go in the larger catechism, it breaks that whole body of divinity down like that. The the body of divinity is what are we to believe concerning God, and what duty God requires of man begins right here where we're going to start today. But just to give you an overview of that, all through those uh, questions, question four then comes back to the subject, what is God? And then, uh, as we said, 1 through 38 teach what man is to believe concerning God. It, uh, as Williamson says, it teaches us the centrality of God, God's providence. How does God execute His decrees in the works of creation and providence? God's providence. Man fell into sin. He created. I mean, there was the covenant of life, we call it, or covenant of works. Man fell into sin. Even the sin was in the under the dominion of God's providence, uh, so that God might redeem a people for Himself through a, a create a salvation through a redeemer. And engage in the covenant of grace, okay. And then, who is that redeemer? Who's the only redeemer of God's elect? The Lord Jesus Christ is the only redeemer of God's elect. He's our prophet, our priest, and our king. And he works out all the all of Scripture. It's all about him. Everything's about him. So now we come to question thirty-nine. Okay, so we have this study here, and that's what we're where we are here in this. If you look at question thirty-nine, it's. Uh, I'll, read it. I'll, I'll start quoting it from memory, and then all of a sudden I'll say, uh-oh, it doesn't say that. Uh, um, question 39 is, what's the duty which God requires of man? This is the duty which God requires of man. So we kind of go back here. Who is God? What is God? The duty which God requires of man. It doesn't say of the redeemed. This is the duty which God requires of man. All man. Every man that's ever been born. Any man that's been born, including the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the duty which God requires of man? The duty which God requires of man is obedience to his revealed will. Now, what did God at first reveal to man for the rule of his obedience? The rule which God at first revealed for his, uh, first revealed for his, uh, to man for his obedience was the moral law. Whereas the moral law summarily comprehended? The moral law is the whole Bible. The moral law summarily comprehended. The summation of it is in the Ten Commandments. And then what's the sum of the Ten Commandments? The sum of the Ten Commandments, Jesus even reiterated from Deuteronomy, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength, and thy neighbor as thyself. That's the sum of the Ten Commandments. That's it. That's it. You want to understand the Ten Commandments? Understand that. So where he starts, where Watson starts, is with two uh, in his introduction to prepare us to understand The Lord, I mean, the Ten Commandments is with obedience and love. Obedience and love. That's what God requires of man. Obedience and love. So that's where we're going to start. So um, as we talk about this, you've got the basic questions here that we're talking about. Um, Today, we're going to do about 12 Sundays. Right now, I'm going to try to do 12 Sundays. (laughs) there's nobody pushing me according to Wayne I don't have any schedule but I'm going to try to do two introductory okay today obedience and love next week love and the preface to the Ten Commandments preface is absolutely crucial if you don't get the preface you will, the rest of the Ten Commandments don't matter you must understand the preface it's that critical because we have so many wrong views um These two things, though, um, what man is to believe concerning God and the duty which God requires of man can never be separated. That's what the Bible teaches us. So, faith without works is dead. You must have proper faith, right? To have the proper works, works without faith. You know, that which is not of faith is sin. You can't do, oh, I'm going to obey God and not trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can't say, I'm going to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm going to do what I want to do. they're, They're never separate. Never. So, God's glory is our chief end. We learn only in His Word, the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. So here's how it's going to break down this morning. Obedience. We're going to talk about the duty, its rule, the ingredients of acceptable obedience, why men do not obey, and some means to obedience. I I hope we get through that. Love, question 42, what is love? What precedes love? What is its nature? Our love to God qualified and visible signs of our love to God. So, let's jump in. Question 39. It's not enough to hear God, we must obey. Obedience is part of the honor we owe God as, our, as a creature. You know, this is Romans 1. They knew who He was. We just had guy preach a sermon on this. As creatures, we owe God obedience. Obedience carries in the lifeblood of religion. In 1 Samuel 15, we all know that, right? 1 Samuel 15, where he said, uh, To obey is better than sacrifice to obey is better than sacrifice you want to worship god you want to come to church every sunday obey god all week long to obey is better than sacrifice it is the lifeblood of religion it's hard to pray when you're heavy with sin it's hard not and you should pray that I'm not saying that you should pray when you're heavy with sin Obedience must have knowledge, but knowledge must have obedience. We can know all the right things to do and say in here, you know. And God, Saul thought it was enough to just go to offer the sacrifice. And Samuel says, no, God came to Samuel in his word. Uh, If obedience is lacking, God did not set up his ordinance for, for worship. But he was looking for obedience chiefly in Jeremiah 7: 22 and 23. I'm going to quote a lot of verses. There's a bunch. You can look that back up. I, pr- I would encourage you to. Jeremiah 7:22 and 23. He was looking for obedience. What was he looking for in Adam? "Thou shalt not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil." He was looking for obedience. So what's the rule? Rule of, 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 of for obedience is the written word. The written word of God. The whole word of God is this rule. Okay, it's summarily comprehended in the Ten Commandments, but it's the written word. Our proper obedience must correspond with His word as the copy does an original. If we go out and I, I have a contract and I want to send it to someone and there's an original contract at the office and I want either fax it to them, but primarily today we scan it or either send it via DocuSign. And even their signature is an electronic signature. They don't actually sign things anymore. People, you know, to sign contracts, you don't have to use your pens. Uh, even now, that is not the original, but it is an exact replica of the original. That's the way our, our obedience should be to His Word, an exact replica. Okay. Um, to just tell you to make sure that you understand that this is... Uh, we're still supposed to be doing this. In Matthew 5, verse 16. And I, I want to encourage you this. Another thing, as I mentioned earlier. This comes from the sum of saving knowledge I'm about to read you. Uh, get, a, get, the, get the sum of saving knowledge and evidences of it. Uh, Matthew five sixteen. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. There's a couple of Beboisms I call them, that my kids quote them back to me because I quoted to them so much. You know, you cannot derive the Christian ethic from the ethics of Christians. Okay, number one. Number two, you never have the right to break God's law or to give someone else the right to break God's law. You never have the right to break God's law and you never have the right to give someone else the right to break God's law. Don't tell your child it's okay, you have to be nice. You tell them to shut up. But don't tell them to lie. Okay? Uh, You never have the right to break God's law. That's what Jesus is saying here. It never stops. To seem to be zealous but not according to the word is not obedience but will worship. So the rule for obedience is important. You can't just go out. We have a lot today that, that are doing so many things for God that are contrary to what the word says. They have zeal without knowledge. They have zeal without knowledge. And zeal without knowledge is disobedience. It's disobedience. It is. It's not according to the word, no matter how pious it may seem. God revealed His word. And what he, only what He has revealed is the moral law. This is summed up in our Ten Commandments, as we've talked about. A creature must obey the Creator. That's Romans 1, 17 and following, which we heard from Guy not long ago. In God's kind dissension, and and Calvin wrote at length about this. I, I won't go too long. But God actually took and wrote these down for us. We aren't guessing. The modern church seems to act like we don't really know what God wants us to do. He's pretty clear about what He wants us to do and nothing else. In fact, in the book of Revelation, if you add to it or make it up, you're going to be cursed. Same law. God was kind. What do the psalmist say? How great a God is that He us, give us all these good laws. He told us what He wanted to do. All you people out there sacrificing hope and killing... Each other, sacrificing your children. Maybe he won't be mad at me. Maybe your God will give you some rain. Our God tells us exactly what to do. That's a good God. That's a good God. He's given us a rule to obey, but he's made it clear. He's made it clear. He's told us exactly what pleases him. Secondly, under the obedience, under the duty, the ingredients of acceptable obedience... So these are, I'm going to walk through these, and uh, let me see what time we got. Okay. Um, the first ingredient of acceptable obedience is it's free and cheerful. Um, if you look at Isaiah 119, I'm going to quote it. I'm not going to stay there. Um, if it's not free and cheerful, it's penance. If it's not free and cheerful, it's penance, guys. Though we serve God weakly, it can still be willingly. You and I serve God weekly on our best day it's week, but it should be willing He's God, he's been good, He's shown us what He wants in deuteronomy ten ten there were free will offerings as part of the sacrifice that means you just give what out of what you got out of love, out of just there's not a commanded percent it was just in modern terms, God gave me $100,000, and I just decided to give him $50,000 of it. Free will. I'm going to try to make it on what i got left over. That's what he's talking about here. That's the kind of obedience he's looking for. Um, it's willing. You love to see your servants acting cheerfully, he says. Okay, So does God. You know, I was in the, um, I, I called my boss. I was, um, first week of February, I guess it was maybe it was in January, I was in Indiana, and supposedly in the last 10 years in a row, the number one airport in the United States is the Indianapolis airport, and um, I was there, we finished a meeting at 2, and I thought it was going to be at 4, and so my plane didn't leave till f- 5 or 6, thought I'd, had, so I'd have time to get to the airport, and so I went to the counter to try to change the ticket, but It didn't matter. My connecting flight in Atlanta was still going to put me at home at the same time, so it didn't matter. And I figured I'd rather sit in the number one airport in the United States instead of Atlanta. And so I stayed there. And I was there for three hours just sitting in the airport. So uh, I've become psycho about getting my 10,000 steps a day, so I was walking around the airport. And um, as I walked around the airport, I noticed there's this little old lady who cleans, you know, the the, uh, conveyor belt that you can get on and speed up to get to your next gate. There's a lady that cleans all those rails. She comes back. She cleans down the glass. She came down the other side and she was working. And then an hour later, she was back doing the same exact one. There's a lady that comes by and picks up the trash. And she's got a little cart. And each, each little cubicle has a trash can and she's cleaning out. But I remember calling my boss and said, I know why it's the number one airport in the world. These women are doing these menial jobs. And guess what? They were singing. They were singing. They were glad to be there. They were glad to have that job and they were happy doing it. It was a meaning, a meaning you know, just a menial job, but they were glad. I said, if you can create a work environment where the people that are janitors are happy, you got a good business. God wants that from our hearts. We, those people were happy to be at work in an airport cleaning up behind people which is a big mess. And God's saying, I want free and cheerful obedience. Hypocrites obey God grudgingly. Cain brought the sacrifice. He didn't bring his heart. God sees our hearts. Willingness is the soul of obedience. God sometimes accepts willingness without the work, but never the work without willingness. Lip, you know, the ones that say, your lips praise me, but your heart is far from me. Cheerfulness shows that there is love in the duty. So, cheerful and willing. Devout and fervent. Another ingredient of the kind of obedience he's looking for. If you look in Romans twelve 11, I'm not going to read it for time. Obedience without fervency is like a sacrifice without fire hear that? Obedience without fervency is like a sacrifice without fire. You put them on the altar that you didn't bring any fire. James 5, 16. The effectual fervent prayer. The fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplisheth much. In uh, 2 Kings, uh, I think it's uh, eleven ten, 10. Where Elijah calls down fire. If I'm a man of God, I'll call down fire. Augustine's quotes... Augustine quotes there, his commentary on that is Elijah's prayer fetched fire from heaven because Elijah's prayer sent fire to heaven. He was a fervent man. He was the effectual prayer of a, the fervent prayer of a righteous man. So fervency and devout and devotion. Thirdly, obedience must be extensive. Psalm 119. Verse 6. I won't quote that one either. but All God's commands require equal efforts. Let's look at that. Psalm 119. Verse 6. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. All the commands of God. What we consider little, what we consider big. You know, I've heard commentary. We don't understand things. You know, it's weird. It's like uh, talking to people either with sickness. We understand sickness because if it's a sickness you've had, if you've had a cold, you understand a cold. If you had flu, is the worst thing in your life. If you had COVID, you might understand COVID better. If you had cancer, you understand cancer better than somebody that hadn't. Okay. God doesn't allow that in obedience. He's not asking you to understand it because you've experienced it. He wants all of it. I mean, a good Christian makes gospel piety and moral equity kiss each other. This is where we can discover our own hypocrisies. Because we'll obey God in some things that are easy to us. If you never cussed, you don't have to quit. But you can talk bad about everybody that was. So then you go off and slander. (laughs) You know... If you didn't struggle with sexual sin, and you can't understand how those dirty people over there do that, da, da. You know, it's easy for you. Whatever it is, it's, there's things that are, come naturally because our predispositions are one way or the other that we do. God says, Thank, that's great. Keep obeying there. But he's also saying, whatever it is you're hard to do, whether it's gossip on these or whether it's, uh, you know, Drinking too much or whether it's whatever it might be. Obey me there too. I want it all. It's always all or nothing with God. It's all or nothing. It's extensive. There are things that come easier to you than they do to me and vice versa. In obedience I'm talking about. In a whole lot of other ways as well. But in obedience is what I'm specifically talking about. You know, he goes and quotes Mark uh, 10 21 where it says, one thing you lack. He said, Herod, Herod liked to listen to John the Baptist. He just wouldn't give up incest. You know? He liked to listen to John the Baptist. I like to listen to good preachers. You know? Benjamin Franklin loved George Whitfield. He said he wasn't going to give him any money. By the time the sermon was over, he was asking his neighbor to borrow something to give to Whitfield. You know? Everybody likes good preaching. That's one of the fallacies of only depending on it. It always, quote, moves people. But then when they leave the room, it doesn't keep moving them because everybody likes it. Partial service is displeasing to God. Yeah, He wants it all. Obedience must be fourthly sincere. We must aim at the glory of God in it. In religion, the end is everything. Why are you doing what you're doing? Is it for you? 1 Corinthians 10.31 Do all to the glory of God. The end of our obedience must not be to stop the mouth of conscience. In other words, I obey God because I feel bad when I don't. Nope. That's not legit. That's about you. That's not about God. That's about you. That's not about God. Or to gain applause. Look at Jamie over there. He's teaching Sunday school again. You know? It's a danger to get up here and teach, I promise. For all sorts of, even if you're not a very good teacher, that you're up here, it's a very prideful, contend to pride. Or preference. You know, I want to get first in line at Presbytery or whatever, the thought well of at the seminaries. It's possible that the action may be right and not be acceptable because the heart's not. Two things are to be eyed in obedience: the principle of it, in other words, the exact letter of it, and the heart of it, the end of it. Where are you going with it? Why is it? Why are you doing it? The why, the letter and the why. Fifthly, obedience must be in and through Christ alone. We are everything we do is accepted in the beloved. We hadn't gotten to this because we're going to get to the. Uh, that's why the preface is so important. Right now, this is. Remember, I'm telling you, this is for all men everywhere not our obedience even on its best day on your best day even when you even have you think you have the best motives even behind the right actions you're not going to want to take that to God we had a sermon last month Sunday morning it is all Christ it's not even your faith your faith isn't good enough it is Christ and even when you're obeying it has to be in Christ It has to be offering up works of obedience in Christ. Works of service have to be in Christ. Uzziah, King Uzziah, I'll call that. You know, Isaiah prophesied during the time of King Uzziah. You know, I was sitting, that's where he was in, in Isaiah 6, during King Uzziah's reign. Remember what happened to King Uzziah? He went and offered incense. Good thing to do. Good thing to do. Guess what he did? He did it without a priest, and God struck him with leprosy. It was a good thing to do. It was a good thing to do. I think Uzziah was a good king. But for the most part, because no, what, what he was showing was, there's a better king coming. If you read that, if you ever see anybody in that lineage and you keep saying that that was a good king or this is a bad king, all that, they were all saying, this isn't the right king. There's one coming. Every one. The answer to all of them is, there's one coming. But the point is, obedience without Christ, our great high priest, is useless. That was what that was teaching you. You got obedience, a, a desire for incense to give, to offer up even prayers to God, which incense reflects, without a priest. He offered obedience without Christ. Obedience, thir- uh, sixthly, must be constant. True obedience must always be kept burning like fire at the altar. Hypocrites obey for season. When things are good, it's easy to obey. When things are bad, it's really, really, really hard. And I quote that proverb all the time to myself. Some of you, I've quoted it too, each heart knows its own bitterness and a stranger cannot share his joy. Your bitterness is not mine, but you've got a real one somewhere in your life. And it's hard when that gets really bitter to you, to obey God. But our, the obedience that's acceptable must be constant. It requires constancy. It's a crown on the head of those who persevere in obedience. Read Revelations 2 26 through 28. So this condemns those who cast off the yoke of obedience. Jeremiah 44 they basically say God's people, this is God's people here now 16 to 19 we're not going to do what you say. That was an obstinate overt, we don't usually do it that overtly. We try to find ways around it but we wouldn't dare go out and say, I'm just, God says do this, so we go find us a preacher who says you don't have to. <laughs> I mean, we do it every day, particularly Protestants are good at this. We go find us somebody who will agree with our position on this, and I don't have to obey God here. And that's what we do. And so, so and so, all of a sudden, you're a disciple of this preacher. God's word requires obedience and it requires it to be constant and in every area and extensively. So, this will condemn those who don't. God's word says, pray in your home with your family and you neglect it. God's word says, keep the Sabbath holy and you neglect it. God says, do not take revenge. Vengeance is mine. And we still want to get back at that person that hurt us. Some kind of little way. God says, vengeance is mine. God says, leave off your uncleanness. We feed ourselves uncleanness so much every day. And I don't even realize I'm doing it myself. Probably all of us. But if you're like me and you're exposed to anything in the world, it's perpetual. Sex sells. Okay? It does. And everything you're being sold, (laughs) they're using it. Uh, Rebellion is, is that's rebellion. To kind of hang on to a piece of it, to worship, you're doing exactly what Saul did. Saul went and offered sacrifices, but he didn't obey God. And he says, that's rebellion, and rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Scary. Um... Why do men not obey? Well, number one, they don't have any faith. You know, uh, Isaiah 53, 1, the great passage about the Lord Jesus Christ. Who has believed our message? First line. They don't believe what God's telling them. If you believed sin was bitter and hell was the end of it, would you keep doing it? That's the question. Do you really believe that? Do you believe that sin's going to take you to hell? If you believe godliness was gained, wouldn't you try to do it? Do you really believe that? That's what he says. And then, one of the key notes of being a follower of Jesus Christ what is the first thing he tells people who are going to follow him? Deny yourself. No self denial. Why do people not do this? Why do people not obey? They won't deny themselves. God commands one thing and our lusts command another and it looks a lot more fun over there. We go over there. We don't deny ourselves. So, obey God. Uh, Quickly, incentives to obey God. Obedience makes us precious to God. Exodus 19.5 Number two, nothing is lost by obeying God. You know, nothing's lost. It's the way to have our own will. As he goes through each one of them, he said, do you want a better estate? You want a better situation financially? Obey God. You want your soul to be nourished, happy, fed, growing, alive, not dying, decaying? Obey God. Uh, Deuteronomy twenty eight one three and five Jeremiah seven twenty three Hebrews five nine just for verses on those references. Secondly, a third incentive: sin is irrational. Think about who you're rebelling against when you disobey. It doesn't make sense. We're all, you know, we had so much for two years of I follow the science, like intellect is, you know our intellect we can solve our own problems you know with the whole thing and what he's saying here is that sin that sin of disobedience is totally irrational think about who you're rebelling against he's the god who made you and you can look at second thessalonians one verses seven and eight and luke 12 17 so okay so obedience now love quickly uh, what can i do in a few minutes here i'll do love uh, what is love it's a holy fire kindled in the affections, whereby a Christian is carried out strongly after God as the supreme good. You know, uh, the reason why I wanted to get to this is that this is what closed Guy's book last week. Is Psalm, I, I, last night? I woke up, and I said you couldn't sleep. I thought about so many crazy things last night, but I was Asaph. I couldn't get Asaph off of my head uh, from Psalm seventy three, and. Um, because of this. And I was thinking about, you know, David Lindley passed away this past week. He a, one of my favorite musicians. And I had this long conversation with Robert Jones about that. And, uh, but, whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of your works. Have you come to that? Because this is the love part. Okay, it's going to say, do you know this? If you have this as your heart, then it's a lot easier... To say with Isaiah, call the Sabbath a delight. Right? I mean, that's kind of what we heard for the last six, seven weeks. If that's really your heart, it's a lot easier to say, (coughs) I got to pay my taxes and every cent of it, and I'm not going to fudge on it next month. I'm going to pay every cent because it pleases my God. You know, I'm going to be able to cease from my own pleasures because that's my heart. That's my love, is that love to God you have. Secondly, what precedes love to God is knowledge of God. We had we've done we did two, three springs in a row where we did the attributes of God. To get to know who this God is, because you really can't love him if you don't know him. It's kind of the John seventeen three. If you don't know God, as he describes himself in his word, we can make up figments of our own imagination. Well, I like to think of God as fill in the blank. But you can't love him if you don't know him. You don't know who he is. It's an absolute must. Moses met God. He knew God. Isaiah, he met God. If you read the Psalms, and I was thinking of David, but then I started thinking about Asaph knew God. Asaph knew God. David knew God. Look at the Psalms. Do you know God? You can't love him if you don't know him. Three, what is the nature of love? Delighting in an object. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. He'll give you himself. If you, that's what you delight in. It's what you desire with all your heart. He says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you himself. Do we want that? Is that really what we delight in? Because this is what it's going to require for obedience and to keep these Ten Commandments. We need to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. We're going to get to that next week. And, um, in fact, let's stop there. I will start with this. The next question is, how, uh, how must our love to God be qualified? Number one, with all our hearts. Everything you got inside. You know, Psalm 8611. Unite my heart to fear thy name. You know what he's saying there? Make one my heart. I wrote that out because David Gilbert, I remember him teaching that. And I wrote it out in my Bible. It says, make one my heart. And in other words... Don't give me any other affections. Make one my heart. Unite my heart. Because your heart has lots of affections. You love your children. You love, you know, some, we love our work. We love um, other people, friends. Love the Bible. I love the church. Unite my heart to fear your name. Make one my heart. With its affections, make it be yours. Yours and yours and yours alone. As we approach the Ten Commandments... God requires of man obedience to his revealed will. We must obey. Obedience. Secondly, the sum of the Ten Commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. God requires love. Obedience and love. We'll talk a little bit more about love and the preface. We'll get to the preface next week. But this is coming out of, there again, I used uh, Watson's Ten Commandments. I would encourage you to read the Sum of Saving Knowledge, if you can get a copy of it, and that, uh, that form is really good. Uh, very helpful in just understanding true saving faith. And um, let's pray. Dear Lord God, our Father, I thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you would give us that love. And, O Lord, prepare our hearts to worship you in spirit and in truth as we come before you, as we think on ourselves, as we bewail our unbelief, as we bewail our, our, our lack of obedience and our lack of love to you.